Narumi Karasoki was set for a charmed life. She was a brilliant student. She was also kind, outgoing, friendly, attractive, and very focused. Narumi was set to make a true impact in this world until her candle was snuffed out all too soon. In a case that attracted international attention, police doggedly tracked down her killer, finding him an ocean away from the murder scene. Listen now to learn if police were able to catch this cold-blooded murderer. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Killing, Missing, Hidden, the podcast to the stars. That means if you're listening, you you must be a celebrity. Oh my gosh, so many celebrity listeners. Thanks for popping by. As always, I'm your old buddy Brad, the criminal defense attorney of my prior life, hopeful space cowboy in my next life. We are bringing you a story with true international flavor today. Like, seriously, this one covers three continents. It's a very interesting case. I mean, sad, of course, but interesting. Kind of like my social life. While we're just shooting the breeze here, y'all do me a favor and post on Facebook how great we are. And maybe leave a link to the show. That'd be really, really cool of you since you're all celebrities. And also, before we jump in, I need to give a shout out to Lazy Masquerade for bringing this case to my attention supplying some of the details and just for overall being a dang good YouTube channel. It's a lot like killing missing hidden, but in the upside down, they mostly cover like creepier things with some true crime and missing persons thrown in. And it's done in video format. Obviously the host also has a lovely British accent and he tends to pronounce names correctly. So it's more like I'm the Danny DeVito to his Arnold Schwarzenegger from the movie Twins. And he didn't pay me to say this. This is, you know, just Brad being cool and recognizing a fun YouTube channel for you kids that you may enjoy. But anyway, enough. I know we're talking. I shouldn't be talking. Let's get this story started, okay? In 2016, Narumi Karusaki was a 21-year-old college student in Tokyo. Her teachers are described her as brilliant. Uh, an adventurous spirit, Narumi had always wanted to study abroad and was delighted to learn that she had be ex- been accepted on scholarship to the University of Franche-Comte in Besançon, France. In case you couldn't tell, it was my by my terrible pronunciation efforts. You know, it's a French school. Um, She arrived there on August 26, 2016, where she was set to study economics and finance. Within two months of starting classes, however, her professors became concerned because she stopped attending classes regularly. Her roommates, too, started getting worried because her appearances at the dorm were becoming more and more inconsistent. And by December 4th, they had just stopped seeing her at all. They initially believed she must have moved in with someone else or maybe gone on an unannounced trip. But after failing to reach her by phone for several days, they really felt like they didn't know what else to do. So they contacted the police and reported her as a missing person. 
Now, December 4th, that was a Sunday, and Naomi attended a dance class every Sunday. And sure enough, on this December 4th, she was at that dance class. The class let out around 4 o'clock, and that was the last time anyone would see Naomi again. Now, we need to know that Naomi is the only Japanese girl in this class, and I think in most of her classes... So she would be a bit more memorable than just the average student. Police actually jumped on this case really quickly and soon found evidence suggesting this case would not have a happy outcome. They discovered Norumi had not used her phone or bank card since December 4th, except on December 6th when she bought a train ticket. When police interviewed the passengers who had tickets around where she was scheduled to seat, none of them remembered seeing a girl in that seat, much less a young Japanese girl. Also, Naomi's phone was active till December 12th, but only sending text messages to family. And all of these messages basically said, I've met a new boy and we're running away together. Now, as adventurous as Naomi was, this did not fit her personality at all. According to her friends and family, she would not have just ditched her family like that. She would have wanted this to be a celebration, not something that she just runs off and starts a new life. When interviewed, her roommates could really offer no useful information. But police were thorough, and they spoke to some of her neighbors in the dorm. And several of them reported to police that they did hear some odd noises the night of December 4th, going into the early morning hours of December 5th. The most common story they got was somewhere around 3 in the morning on December 5th. There was some sort of scream followed by a thud. Now, as many as 15 neighbors reported this exact same a few were concerned that someone had actually been hurt. One even texted a friend saying that she was scared that someone had been killed in her building. But ultimately, most of these people said, you know what? This is a college dorm. College kids do lots of stupid stuff. They were probably just messing around. It's no big deal. One of the downstairs neighbors, when she heard the scream and the thud, she actually kind of kept an eye out to see if anybody, you know, was making a quick getaway because she was concerned something bad had happened, but she never saw anybody leave the building, at least through the exits by her end of the building. Now, apparently, and I'm not certain how the dorm is laid out exactly, but apparently outside of Naomi's door, there is a fire exit. And when police investigated and looked at the fire exit, they found a red stain on it. Now, unfortunately, when they tried to test it, they couldn't tell if it was blood or not. So this could very well be paint or something like that. By December 26th, though, despite really having turned up very little in the way of like hard evidence or clues, French police ruled that Narumi's disappearance was a murder, and they were treating it as a murder case. And they also had a prime suspect already, a fellow by the name of Nicholas Zepeda. 
So who is this Nicholas Zepeda? All right. Well, as you may have guessed from my semi-adequate pronunciation of his name, he's not from France. He's also not of Japanese birth. Indeed, he hails from Chile. Why is he popping up in the middle of this murder story? Well, just, just be patient. I'll tell you. Stop interrupting, okay? All right, so Nicholas was 26 years old at the time, and he did have a tiny connection to Naromi's life. See, he had actually served as a visiting instructor at Naromi's college in Tokyo, and the two had met. Uh, the two actually even dated for a spell, but they broke up when Nicholas returned to Chile. I don't know why they broke up. Maybe distance was a factor. You know, they didn't want to do the long distance thing. Maybe they just figured they were both too young. And that's all well and good. But why would French police think that this ex-boyfriend flew all the way from Chile to France to murder an ex-girlfriend? Yeah, um, they did think that. And here's why. See, it turns out that Nicholas and Naomi actually had begun speaking again. And he even said that he was going to come to France to visit her. And, you know, just fun fact, something I was curious about that I looked up. If you're living in Chile and you want to visit Japan, you're looking at roughly a 28-hour flight. It's a long, long day of travel. But if you're living in Chile and you want to go visit France, it's only about a 14-hour flight. So it cuts it in half. She, you know, she's half a world closer now. I don't know. It's not really relevant. It was just something I was curious about, so I thought I'd share. So anyway, back to the story. Nicholas arrives in France, and he does hook up with Naomi. The pair are caught on some security cameras, eating dinner at a fancy restaurant um, a few dozen kilometers from Naomi's dorm. The dinner was paid for with a card issued from a Chilean bank. They were also seen entering Naomi's apartment via security camera footage, but only Nicholas was ever seen leaving. Now, police had this working theory that he had killed Naomi and drug her through the fire escape, loaded the body into the car he had rented, and then driven out into the woods to bury her body. After that, he flew back to Chile. By the by, part of the reason they thought this is his rental car, when it was returned, was coated in mud to such a degree that the agent that accepted it made a note in the electronic file saying, oh my God, all the mud, it's everywhere. That's not a quote. That's just, you know, roughly what she said. A few of Naomi's friends reached out to Nicholas to see if by chance he had heard anything from her while the investigation was going on. But he would just generally respond with messages like, oh, I'm sure she's fine, or don't worry about her, she's okay. Now, I didn't really know where to stick this point in, but it needs to be noted that during the initial bit of investigating, police interviewed the boy Naomi had been seeing in France, a fellow by the name of Arthur. He asked the police to look at Nicholas as a possible suspect, because he was just incredibly jealous. Even though they were broken up, he did not like the idea of this Arthur guy 
hanging out with Naromi. But police didn't really buy into it, even after Arthur claimed that uh, Nicholas had hacked his Facebook account and started posting really nasty things about Naromi in an effort to get them to not be friends anymore. And, you know, you kind of can't blame the police because their attitude was like, what, this dude's going to fly 14 hours just to kill a woman? Come on. It's laughable, right? Well, after a while, it wasn't so laughable anymore. Eventually, the French police issued an international arrest warrant for Nicholas. But there's kind of a hiccup, okay? See, they couldn't just fly over to Chile and arrest Nicholas. It doesn't work that way. They would have to go into Chile and convince the judge there that Nicholas was, you know, more likely than not responsible for Naromi's murder to justify having him extradited. And I'm fudging a bit there. I, I don't really know the exact extradition terms Chile has with France. Um, but Chile is generally... It's a country that forbids the extradition of nationals. Now, I did find the treaty between the U.S. and Chile on extradition, and it leaves an out in there that, you know, Chile can say, no, we're not extraditing any national for any, you know, regardless of whatever crime he's charged with or she's charged with in the U.S., we're not going to extradite a national. And, and just so this isn't too confusing, or maybe, Maybe this is me just making it extra confusing. There's a difference between a national and a citizen. And it's a, it's a minor, but it's an important distinction for this sort of thing. So a national is a citizen of a particular country, generally one who's entitled to hold a passport from that country. But it's a little bit more in that it means the person is from that land. Whereas a citizen is someone that's been given the a political designation. You know, if you immigrate from, uh, let's say, you know, Canada to the United States, you can become a citizen of the U.S., but you weren't born in the you weren't you're not a naturalized citizen because you weren't born here. And really, that's a bad example because the U.S. isn't even considered a nation. A nation is a country that is kind of, what's the right way to describe it? Um, it's a country that's based around a group of people. So you know, like Japan is a nation because it's mostly Japanese people there, right? China is a nation, mostly Chinese people there. Germany is a nation, mostly German people there. U.S., you know, we don't, we, all of our, all of our native sons, we treated exceptionally cruelly and, uh, largely kicked them out and took over their land. So we're just a smelting pot of Anglo-Saxons and, and African-Americans and all sorts of other folks. So it's a bit of a confusing tromp into the weeds, but if you're a citizen of Chile, you can be deported. If you're a national of Chile under the terms of at least the treaty with the U.S., and from what I understand, their treaties with most countries you can't be extradited for a crime in another country if you're a national. Okay? Was that confusing enough? I, I, I hope it made some degree of sense. So 
here Nicholas is a national of Chile, and that's what the French police are going to have to fight with. They're going to have to convince a judge that he needs to be allowed to be sent to France to face murder charges in Nairobi's death. And to make this cheese even more binding, Nicholas is, of course, a son of a very wealthy businessman, and his family has a fair degree of political influence. There's also a major problem that when it comes to extradition, you really only get one bite at the apple. You go before the judge, you present your best evidence, and if the judge says, I don't feel like extraditing here, you're kind of done. You're out of options. That's it. So the French police and prosecutors had zero margin of error on this case. In an effort to try to shore up the case as much as possible, two French investigators flew out to Chile to question Nicholas, but he wouldn't even meet with them. Apparently, some sort of agreement was brokered between the police and Nicholas's attorney, where the police could submit questions in writing and he would review them and answer the ones he could. So the two investigators come up with 95 questions, put them down in writing, hand them over to Nicholas's attorney, and he refuses to answer a single one. Total waste of time. All Nicholas would ever say about this case was to the press, and it was either I'm innocent and or I think Naromi's still alive somewhere. But we do have a hero that comes through in this case in the form of YouTube. Yes, YouTube. So this murder occurs in December of 2016. Just to remind you of the timeline, back in September of 2016, Nicholas recorded and posted a video intended for Naromi's eyes only, but he accidentally set it to public so the whole world could see it. And in this video, he makes a list of demands Nairobi must meet no later than September 21st to, quote, save their relationship. Again, the relationship that ended when he left Japan to move back to Chile. Some of the conditions concerned how she acted while in France. Others basically applied for the rest of her life. Nicholas stated in this video that she could not keep making such serious mistakes with someone who loves her so much. Now, once word kind of went out that Naromi was missing and maybe Nicholas was involved, shockingly, he deletes this video. Fortunately, someone who got really interested in Naromi's case early on saw the video and decided to download a copy. And once it was announced that Nicholas was kind of a suspect and police were gathering evidence, this internet hero re-uploaded the video to YouTube to let the world see kind of what an arrogant prick this guy was. So because of this video, and because, you know, Nicholas just has to be Nicholas, police now have a pretty good motive for why Nicholas would want to come kill Naromi. He was delusional. He thought they were still in a relationship, and he was telling her how she was going to live her life, even though he wasn't really a part of her life anymore. So eventually we get to April of 2020. I know, big jump in time, 
but we're going to summarize a lot here. This is when the French government made its formal and only request to extradite Nicholas for the murder of Naomi. And amazingly enough, it worked. The Chilean court granted the request, and he was sent to France to face murder charges. So, what did the French authorities have on Nicholas that convinced this Chilean judge to let a Chilean national be sent to a, another country to face murder charges? Well, let's go through it. When police search, now this is an addition to what we've already talked about, of course. When police searched uh, Naomi's room, Nicholas's DNA and fingerprints were found kind of sort of everywhere. Messages between Naomi and Nicholas, wherein Nicholas demands Naomi delete Arthur from all of her social media platforms, which she refuses, and arguments follow. They, the, that YouTube video was a little bit darker than I initially let on. Nicholas says towards the end that Naomi will pay for what she has done if she doesn't follow his new rules, and he will personally enforce the conditions with immediate effect. Kind of chilling and kind of easy to read into. The stain on the emergency exit door, forensic scientists didn't give just one go at it. They came back to it and came back to it and eventually were able to collect a sample that they could analyze and determined for sure that it was not paint, it was blood, and it wasn't just a random person's blood, it was Naomi's blood. Nicholas admitted he was the last person to see Naomi alive. It wasn't, he didn't say he was probably the last person or he thought he was the last person. He was pretty adamant saying that he was the last person. And why was he so certain? Well, he, because he had to brag to the newspapers in Chile that he had sex with her. Their last meeting. He was just so charming and so masculine, they had over two hours worth of sex. And he was so proud of this fact. He just beamed when he told this story. So he's kind of a pervert, too. Now, Rumi's room had been cleaned and tidied up very nicely, a habit that was extremely uncommon for Narumi, according to her roommates. In fact, they went almost far enough to just blatantly call her a slob in newspaper interviews. Almost. They, they were a little nicer. Though all of her important items were in the room, Naomi's phone was missing. Nicholas's cousin, who was a medical student at the time, testified that shortly before Nicholas returned home to Chile, he visited with his cousin, who just happened to be in France at the time. And during their conversation, Nicholas asked a lot of very unusual questions, such as, what do doctors look for when determining if someone died via suff suffocation? The cousin also noted that he found it strange that Nicholas kept referring to Naomi in the past tense, saying things like she loved the sea. Nicholas had bought lighter fluid and matches shortly before his dinner with Naomi. And finally, Nicholas admitted to having visited the forest the day after Naomi went missing, but could not explain why he did this. So you take all that information, you lay it out before a judge. Nicholas doesn't 
really have a good defense. His main argument is, how can there be a murder if there's no body? Which never works anywhere at any time. And so, you know, the judge looked at this, and as my kids would say, he found it all to be super sus. And that's why he said, okay, extradition, I'm cool with that. Now, the, actually, I keep saying the judge. The hearing was held before the Chilean Supreme Court. And kind of their order allowing the extradition went on to say that the evidence presented suggested Nicholas was the last person to see Naromi alive, and his actions following Naromi's disappearance contributed to the suspicion of murder. So not good when your homeland, who's kind of fiercely against extraditing its own people, throws you into the foreign into a foreign criminal justice system so quickly and kind of says along the way, yeah, you don't you don't look so good here, buddy. So another two years passes and our buddy Nikki here went on trial in March of 2020. Because of the international attention on this case, multiple translators were allowed in the courtroom for the media. They actually installed three clocks over the judge's bench, one in local time, one in Chilean time, and one in Japanese time. In addition to using the largest courtroom available in this area, they also set aside two other courtrooms in the courthouse just for public viewing. So essentially, they put up a big projector so people could watch. They could sit in the gallery and, and see what was going on and kind of watch it in real time in that way. Now, again, the trial started on March 29th, and it concluded on April 12th. And Nicholas was found guilty of Naromi's murder. He was sentenced to 28 years in prison. And the judge kind of did this weird split sentence thing. Um, where he said 15 years have to be served in France, 13 years have to be served in Chile, and on top of that, you're banned from ever entering France again after you leave here. And he was ordered to pay 180,000 euros to Naromi's family. Nicholas has appealed his conviction, and as of this recording, that's still pending. Also, as we sit here today, no one has been able to find Naromi's body. And Nicholas, of course, is not helping because he's claiming he's innocent. Well, this is one of those cases that kind of shows you how small the world really is, huh? You know, a Japanese student killed by a former Chilean lover while in France. Uh, again, this case literally covered three continents, which I think is the first in the history of Killing, Missing, Hidden. From what I understand, Nicholas's appeal will be heard in the first part of 2023. And I don't know much about French, well, I don't know much about European law, and I know even less about French law because they rely on the Napoleonic Code, which is just wackadoodle compared to what we use. But from what I'm able to gather from my limited research abilities into French law is Nicholas actually on his appeal is going to get a brand new hearing, but it's not going to be like a new trial. He's going to, witnesses will get to be called and people will get to, you know, experts can give their opinions and all that, but they're only allowed to argue about 
whether or not the trial court applied the law correctly. They can't get into any facts or any evidence or anything like that. It's just points of law. And then, all right, I'm going to do French again. So y'all, you know, get ready to puke. The Corps de Secession decides if the law was applied correctly as it, in other similar cases. Again, won't look at the facts. It just says, was the law, did the judge apply the right law here? And Nicholas will stay in jail until this hearing at a minimum. And of course, if they uphold the sentence, then he'll carry it out. But uh, man, you walk away from this and you say, what a catch Nicholas is, huh? Are all the women out there just swooning in unison at this guy's charming personality or, or, or what, you know? I mean, this guy stayed in love with Naomi for a significant portion of his life, considering how young he was. And, you know, love isn't really the right word. He, he was more obsessed in a very, very dark way. Now, I can say this speaking only as one man. But man, you know, it would take a lot of hate before I'd be willing to go out and murder somebody I loved and tried to hide the body. I mean, first of all, putting on pants is just a major obstacle once I get home. Then you'd have to drive all the way out there. You'd have to kill him, drag the body down to my car while trying to be sneaky. Hope my knee doesn't give out in the process. Dump the body somewhere, dig a big old hole, throw it in there. And you'd have to do all this at night because you couldn't do it during the day. You can't call in sick on the day you're going to commit a murder, you know? And then all the lies you'd have to keep track of. It'd just be so exhausting. But, you know, our buddy Nicky here, he flew halfway across the world just to kill his ex. This dude... This dude was deep in the darkness, man. I mean, he was messed up. Um, and I, I don't, I, I really don't say this to be funny or cute or whatever, but doesn't Nicholas kind of strike you either as a daddy's boy who's never been told no, or one of the ever popular nice guys slash incels who kind of stumbled his way into this relationship with a very pretty young woman, a very smart young woman, and then, you know, screwed it up, probably by being himself. And, of course, you know, to him, the only answer is murder. Because all women are trash, and why don't they appreciate someone as wonderful as him? You know, I think that's why he had to tell his sex story. You know, that, oh, we had sex for two and a half hours or whatever when, whenever he was interviewed by the local media. Um, you know, he's just so cool and not a weirdo that freaks women out. And then you throw on those ridiculous conditions that, you know, you know, I, I'm so great if you're going to stay with me, which I know you don't want to stay with me. In fact, you've made it very clear you don't want to stay with me. But in case you want to stay with me, you're going to have to jump through all these hoops. And, um, you know, I'm going to follow you to make sure that you do. And if I have to, I'll come over there to make you comply. And see, you know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he could not pull this off in his homeland. 
no Latina is going to put up with his nonsense. I mean, they have this freaky ability to cause you pain deep in your soul just from a hard stare. I mean, the last time I pulled the macho card on my wife, I ended up having to buy more makeup than an elephant could wear. It's a very, very dangerous game to play. And of course, the worst thing about all of this is the victim. Why did it have to be Naromi? I mean, I hate it when kids are killed, of course. And here you've got, like, someone who's going to obviously be something great in this world. She had everything in front of her. She was, you know, so smart and pretty and adventurous and love having fun, love making friends. And everybody talked about how nice she was and what a warm soul she was. I mean, she would have been a rock star in life. Whatever field she went into, she would have just kicked butt. Yet her chance to make an impact on the world was snuffed out by this jealous ex. This pathetic, weasley little weenie of a man had to ruin her great life because it didn't conform to his terrible life. It's just awful. Um, that's kind of our tale for the week. It was one I had never heard of until I found it on that Lazy Masquerade YouTube channel. It was one of his older episodes, but it was pretty well done. If you want to see that episode, I've got a link in our show notes, of course. And like I said, he's got lots of other uh, missing persons and true crime cases, several of which we've covered before. In fact, I think I've I've given a shout out to Lazy once before. He He turned... He had a video that turned me on to a case that we covered. But anyway, um, like I said, super entertaining, total opposite of Killing Missing Hidden. Worth checking out if you like YouTube. All right, so that means it's time for our palate cleanser, right? And um, we've got another groaner. We're kind of on a roll here with, with hitting some really, really awful ones recently. Okay, so um, be prepared. And you'll notice we're kind of getting away from the theme here. I've, I've, I've discouraged that. I've, you know, just go out and find your best, Mr. Eli. And maybe we should go back to the theme. Anyway, here's the joke. What's the difference between a stake and a shooting star? The difference between a stake and a shooting star. Well, one is meaty, but the other one's a little meatier. I'm I'm being quiet because I seriously don't know how to follow that. Um, all right, well, well, let's we'll just agree, okay? We'll move on. We'll pretend like that joke never happened. Thank you for coming to visit my little corner of the world, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this visit. If you did, we would be honored if you would sign our guest book in the form of a five star review on your favorite podcast listening app. Leaving a little review would be even more helpful. Um, you know, we hope to be back next week with another story of interest. Until then, just hang on. I uh, actually looked up some romantic ways to say goodbye to end this episode. And this was my favorite that I found. Until then, may we meet again in heaven. Okay, I, that's uh, that's romantic. That that just sounds kind of dark. It's like, yeah, we're separating, and I hope that we die and see each other soon. 
Um, but you know, may, maybe I don't know the the line really between romantic and bloody gory murder. I don't know. I, I may be perverted by doing this show. But okay, all right. Well, with that said, I'm, I'm done. Um, love you all. Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.